Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Cece. And this is Claire. And hello friends to our headline news edition of season 3, episode 6 of Sendition on November 14th, 2021. We have three interesting stories and even better takes, so let's get into it. So our first story of the day is that the United States and China reached a joint agreement about climate change. So, on Wednesday, November 10th, the United States and China announced at COP26, which is an environmental convention in Glasgow right now, and they announced that they would work together to slow global warming. The US and China are actually two of the biggest emitters, if not the biggest, of greenhouse gases, accounting for about 40% of the world's emissions in total. They pledged to meet the goals of the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, And the emphasized goal is not exceeding 2 degrees Celsius or even 1.5 degrees. The U.S. and China said they would, quote, raise ambition in the 2020s, end quote, to keep those temperatures in reach. Chinese Special Climate Envoy Xie Zhenhua said that as superpowers, the two big countries, USA and China, have a, quote, special obligation, end quote, to work together to keep the world peaceful and sustainable. Although their promises may be assuring to hear, there were no mentions of firm deadlines or specific commitments. For example, while there is a promise to commit and cooperate on renewable energy, there was no mention of whether the United States considered lifting trade measures against Chinese-made solar panels and other Chinese-made green technology. Many leaders throughout COP26 showed more willingness to change than seen before. A new draft of the agreement released around 12 hours before the U.S.-China agreement shows this. The draft showed an explicit acknowledgement that nations must get rid of coal burning faster and stop supporting and funding fossil fuels. The creator of the draft, conference president Alok Sharma, hopes to get it signed by leaders by the end of the week. Xi'an did not say whether China would accept the clause of the draft that specified eliminating funding for coal. China has already stopped its foreign coal plants, but they still continue to construct and fund coal plants domestically. I mean, I guess good for them trying to work together, since U.S. and China has had many History. issues in the past. So, I mean, it's kind of cool how they're coming together, I guess. It's, I don't know, to me it was a little bit unexpected, for sure. Mm, I do think so, too, because, like... In the past, with not um, with the Paris Climate Accord, it's like I think in the past China has like, why are you look blaming at us? Look at U.S. and the U.S. is like, why? Yeah, are you, like, the like, other way around too. China. Yeah, they. You I know? don't think either were very, or at least they weren't trying to be accountable for their actions. More like pointing the finger the other way. Even in reality, I think they're both to blame. Oh uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. At the same time, it's suspicious because, like, the two worst climate polluters are now teaming up to say that they're going to hit some sort of measures. Like, if they're the ones holding each other accountable when they can't even hold themselves accountable, like, how do I say it? Like, how are they supposed to hold each other accountable accountable when other countries couldn't hold them accountable? Yeah, I also have an issue with this whole thing as well, because, like the article said, there weren't any specific promises being made, mm, or any so plans like being made. Yeah, more like a vague, we'll work together to reduce emissions, and we'll 
up our ambitions for the 2020s. But besides that, I don't think there is quite anything else. Best friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe. You know, that TikTok song? Yeah. What was it? Something and something. Best friends. Linda and Heather. Two best friends. Best friends. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> China and US. Best friends. Not best friends. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't know. I feel like for them to actually be held accountable or reliable, they need to show that they're actually putting effort into this or will put effort into this. Like, I think one example that I have that they could maybe follow, not that I'm actually telling them to, it's just, you know, what I would want to expect out of this is that Mm -hmm. they could publish a detailed plan from both of their ends to... Mm -hmm reduce both of their greenhouse gas emissions and also detail how they would hold each other accountable and stuff like that and because of that detailed plan then people will know that these countries took time to plan out every last step of their journey to eradicate climate change or to you know lower greenhouse gas emissions for both of their countries I think a lot of these, especially since these are not treatises and they're more like informal agreements. Exactly. Right. There's no obligation. And like, you know, it always looks good from the PR side. Yeah, but I don't think. I don't know. It seems like an empty promise right now. Like, oh, we'll do it. But who knows if they'll actually accomplish. But it has so much potential, you know. True. There's a lot of potential to do a lot of good. For example, like, um, it, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, there's there's ways to reduce climate change that these countries are just not utilizing. And honestly, we've talked about it so many times in other episodes. So if you guys are interested in, like, what we think uh, and we thought about certain solutions for climate change, I suggest you check out our other Letter to the Podcaster episodes and also our page six about um, media and environmentalism. Plug. Plug. (laughs) (laughs) So our second story is a black Ohio police officer breaks his silence about a KKK note from his white chief. Last June this year, a surveillance video of a white Ohio police chief, Anthony Campo, leaving a Ku Klux Klan note on a black officer's raincoat made national news, but the identity of the black officer remained anonymous. But on Thursday, November 11th, Keith Poole, a Sheffield Lake police officer, came forward to talk about why his former boss decided to leave such a note and enact in other, quote, demeaning actions against Poole. Apparently, placing the KKK note was not the only thing he did. Surprise. Poole <laughs> said that he also made a KKK-style hat out of paper and told Poole he had to wear it during his next call. Around Halloween, Kempo even pinned a picture of the Grim Reaper on the bulletin board that had Poole's face inserted in the picture. The caption said, The Raccoon Reaper. After a second black officer joined the department, Poole and him were sitting in a patrol car when Campbell walked up to them. Campbell allegedly said, It looked like y'all's windows are tinted. The windows are open. Poole noted that Campbell repeatedly pulled over drivers with tinted windows. This practice is criticized for unfairly targeting people for driving while black. 
One of Poole's attorneys, Ashley K. Steffel, said that Campbell had a history of discriminating other people based on gender, sexual orientation, and race as well. Poole and his legal team filed a discrimination charge with the Ohio Civil Rights Commission, which is a preparation step file, uh, before filing a lawsuit. They also filed a petition with the state Supreme Court to urge the police department to provide records in order to demonstrate Campbell's pattern of race-based harassment. We think it's worth mentioning that Poole was the first black officer to work at the agency of 14 officers and was repeatedly targeted by Campbell while he was there for just less than a year. So yikes, all around. Yikes. Very much yikes. This might have been naive for me to think, but I didn't think that (laughs) KKK was relevant anymore in any way for some reason. Probably because well, actually, we learned that in it was San gone Diego, or whatever. There's like a KKK. What? East of San Diego County. It's a KKK County. I didn't know that. What the heck? It still boggles my mind that some people think like this still. Yeah. I really wonder what goes on in their brains. It's sort of what you're ingrained with, right? Like, it, for them, like, obviously we wonder what, like, why would they think it's okay, but again like not making excuses of course but mm-hmm. that's how they were taught and they think it's okay which is not sad right yeah quite tragic but i think this probably still happens everywhere just cuz it oh, took yeah. so long I... for officer pool to come out and talk about this in an interview there's probably a mm-hmm. bunch of other people that stay silent on this matter and I guarantee you there's also, like, more subtle forms of it as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, like, not as outright as what um, Chief Campo mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And I think, honestly, these days, sometimes hate does go away, but also hate just becomes quieter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, me- not mellowed out, but subtle. Subtle, I think is the right word. Yeah, it becomes subtle. Unfortunately. Um, there are probably many reasons why, like, people may not report, right? Like, why it takes so long. Mm-hmm. I think some reasons this could be, because I think this also goes for a lot of other things, such as rape. Um, I think some mm. reasons why victims may not report. They're scared to lose their job. In Officer Poole's case, it's his chief that's doing it to him. So if he brought it to the authorities, then there's a big, big chance that he would get fired. Or something similar to that. And obviously no one wants that on their record. They could be scared to be victimized or threatened even more than they are already. As in, like, become more of a target. There's also things like victim blaming from other people. You honestly never know whether the person you're reporting this to will kind of shame you for this. Which is honestly quite stupid in my opinion. Like, I've heard many stories of police officers not taking rape seriously at all like rape allegations they're like oh like you were asking for it or like what were you wearing that night or something like that when in reality they honestly should just be doing their job and investigating what really happened instead of you know victim blaming so many issues yeah it's i mean it's even happened in our own county so like it's no matter how much you think how good uh, account like how safe a county is or how 
stable it is, there's stuff like this always happening. Yeah. It's he's probably going to win. That's like direct harassment right. and discrimination. Right. I it would boggle my mind for him to lose. For Paul to lose. I know, right? Uh, case. Putting a KKK note on the guy's yeah. coat. That's so yeah. outright. And the fact that, I think you mentioned in the beginning, the fact that Paul didn't even come out when the video came out and people online were condemning him. If Paul didn't come out that then, came come forward then, that means it must have been so bad that he had to wait three months after he left. Right. Yeah. After he left and after the news came out. It must have been that bad. Exactly. And for our final story, California plans to demathematize math. Whatever that means. California proposed <laughs> a new framework for math for grades K through 12, which would, quote, demathematize math, end quote, and use, quote, trauma-informed pedagogy. End quote. This means that classes will replace actual math with lessons that are mostly rooted in social justice. The new framework also rejects the idea of innate giftedness among children, thus discouraging accelerated courses even if students have, you know, already mastered enough material to be put into a more advanced class. A goal of this may be to address the disparity in the number of Black and Latino students versus white or Asian students in gifted programs and accelerated math courses. So, uh, I think a good chunk of the article is, I guess, analysis, so I'll talk about that right now. So, there are some problems with this initially. I think that maybe a lot of people might be having already. So, one huge thing is that wealthy families will almost always have more successful children and that's probably because they have mm-hmm. the advantage of wealth that allows them to pay for accelerated classes like for example cc i'm pretty sure both our families spent time and money to put us into extracurriculars that helped mm-hmm. us with tutoring and test prep and whatnot right oh yeah ah <laughs> kumon <laughs> or something like that or like uh, not Kumon. I never did Kumon. Uh, me neither. But I know a bunch of families that did. I went to something called RSM, like Russian the School Russian of Mathematics. Math. It was horrible, that but was it's hardcore. okay. Yeah, it helped me a tiny bit, I think. But definitely, test prep was a huge one too. And with this issue, other families like don't have the money nor the time to put their kids into tutoring classes. And even if there were things like free services, students themselves may not be able to attend even if the services were free because maybe they need to help their family with childcare, housework, a family business, whatever. So that could be a correlation that these families happen to be of black or Latino heritage. Second big problem is that the new framework completely eradicates a tool that can help children who are, in reality, more advanced than other kids. Like, some students may actually be extremely gifted in this field, or they have a huge passion for math that they want to be ahead of their class, so they study, they read over the material, and they have enough knowledge to get to an accelerated class. 
But with California's new math framework, that will completely get rid of this. Compared to New York's new framework, which I think we've mentioned before, which mm-hmm. would instead change the way the gifted program is incorporated into schools and their curriculum so that it accommodates more students. Yeah. Instead of, you know, getting rid of it completely. Uh, California, especially San Francisco, I feel like San Francisco's pushing this as well. Mm, this is the, like, it just keeps messing up. Well, not messing up for sure, but it's, it's making things become an inconvenience, you mm-hmm. know? I, I mean, I'm sure it's in good intentions, right? I mean, good intentions I'm sure this stuff is always, a, yeah, good results all the time. And I understand why, like, because I'm not saying the math right now that's being taught is perfect either and has been for the past, like, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Even the math right now, like, most people, many people do struggle with math and, like, how it's taught. But I think they're making it worse. I think so, too. I think it's worth changing the whole framework with education here. But, to me, I don't think this solution is the correct one. If you can even call it a yeah. solution at this point. Hmm. I mean, I I think there are better ways to do it. Like, there are better ways to address the, di- <coughs> address the disparity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's more the curriculum than the actual, like, who's taking the curriculum. Because, honestly, as long as the curriculum is solid, right? Like, the way uh-huh. they're teaching is, like, makes math one easy to understand, right? Like, de- I guess, demathetize math, right? Make it more applicable um, and relatable for students, Mm-hmm. That should it should happen in the classroom, because I agree. like like you said, the concerns do come up, right? They're already they people already have to be at school, so you might as and you, it's hard to control what they do after school, right? So you might as well. It's better to make do what's happening in the class and just do it in the classroom. I think that's always the best bet instead of. So, like, offering those advanced classes for people who teachers see as gifted, right? Um, teach or, like, also for classes that for kids that need more help in math. It, th- there's, like, more, like, root causes than this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the gifted program is... The biggest problem. The problem. Yeah. I don't think it'll do it's much like how, getting rid of it completely. It's, yeah, it's more how the class is taught. Mm-hmm. And also, like, it's like teachers, right? Like, oh, my God. You know, like, a lot of teachers out there are really trying their best. But at the same time, there's a lack of teachers. Sure, you know, Especially in those areas where there's disparity, it's because there's a lack of teachers. Mm-hmm. teachers or at least quality teachers. Teach, yeah, quality teachers are not being paid enough, they're not being trained enough because there's not enough money, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot could be solved by paying teachers more. 
I think so too. I think offering quality teachers is one of the biggest solutions districts can give, especially in those areas with disparities. I remember learning about that in developmental psych, and that's, I think, one of the biggest takeaways that they had for us, like the book had for us. Mm -hmm. Well, that is all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. But before we leave you, we still have our Sunday snip into the past. So on November 14th, 1851, Herman Melville publishes Moby Dick. Oh, good God. I remember reading that (laughs) book. Um, Yeah. Call me Ishmael. You can call me Cecilia. (laughs) 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 Anyways, this was a book we read in junior year. One of the longest books I've ever read. I don't even remember, like, it was like Whale Anatomy. Whale Anatomy, like, whale blubber getting married to a dude <laughs> i'm kidding no what? remember ishmael and queequeg there are oh, they yeah. are like ultimate bromance i'm gonna tell you that right now they're they're cool queequeg was my favorite character in the whole book but yeah i think to me that was one of the less pleasant books I've had to read just because it was so long. Mm-hmm. Sure, I guess literature was fine, but honestly, to me, it was a bit of a mess. But I guess it also kind of shows you how people unravel out at sea for so long. So, I guess to me it was fine, but at the same time, it just dragged on for so long. Anyways... Like Claire said, thank you all for listening. And have a great Sunday.